Everything changes when school starts again, am I right? Schedules change. Parents go, thank God. Summer's over. You don't have to keep coming up with stuff to do. Um, you have to reevaluate how you run your day. Uh, everything shifts when school starts again. Is this correct? How many of you adults are in school? Let me see your hand. If you're an adult and you're in school. I'm sorry. I'm a little, it's a little dim up here. Could I impose upon you to stand up so I can see you? You're an adult and you're back in school. Let me see. Now somebody needs to give these adults a hand. Thank you. Man, it's, a, it's an amazing. The thing I didn't like about school, I started this last week. One of the things that really bothered me is every time they said, we're going to have a test. You know, if the teacher said test, it would raise so much anxiety because tests have a way of letting you know what you know and what you don't know. It puts you under scrutiny. It tests your habits, tests your discipline. It tests whether or not you're really serious. The tests prove what we're like. God, even God, issues out tests. So I started with you last week. I'd like to finish it for these next few moments. Genesis chapter 22. Check that out. Look at Genesis chapter 22. Interesting verse of scripture. And we see here one of the most profound tests. Genesis 22 verses 1 and 2. And now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. It's kind of an interesting dialogue because my question is if God wants to get your attention, are you in tune enough for you to say, like Abraham said, here I am. Now Abraham, if you know anything about his story, had several opportunities to learn the voice of God. So when God speaks to him this time, there's no mistake. He knows it's God. And God says to him, now take your son. Mm. He said, take your son, your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. I'm sorry, is that what that says in your Bible? Is that right? Then what does he say? He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah to offer him there as a burnt offering <clears throat> on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Now, Abraham has had a lot of commands by God, but he's never had one like this. If you understand what kind of a command it was, then you understand the story that Abraham, who's 99, and could have no children. And Sarah, who's at least 90, who cannot have children. And so when she gets pregnant, it's a big deal. Can you imagine getting, having a promise for 25 years and finally she's pregnant? Oh my God. 
That's a good phrase. They probably use that. Talk about an OMG moment when Abraham figured out, oh my, it's working. Praise God. That was funny. You don't have to laugh if you don't want to. She, uh, she, can you imagine Sarah, who was so frustrated by not having this promise fulfilled until she became a midwife and she helped deliver babies. But she couldn't deliver her own. And some promises that God gives, some promises that God gives, like theirs, he chooses to wait until it is impossible for you and becomes possible for him. So when you find out, when, he, when she finds out that I'm pregnant with this son, can you imagine the love that she had for that child? Can you imagine Abraham, who'd, have been, who'd probably been talked about by the men in the village? Yeah, Abraham, he's a good guy, but blanks, yes. I'm sorry that you're so slow this morning. Well, what about Sarah, who is delivering babies, but she can't have her own? So I wonder what the side conversations are with, the, with her fellow sisters when the conversation comes around children. She can't participate. She has none. I wonder what their conversation was like. Poor Sarah. You know, for, for the Jewish people, it was considered that if you could not have kids, if you could not have children, it was a curse. It was unspoken. Many wouldn't talk about it. But they assumed that this couple, something was wrong. Can you imagine the, can you imagine the embarrassment she must have carried? But now, here she is, past due. You know, when women have children in their older age, you know, it's kind of like the other women start winking their eye like, girl, you did that, didn't you? And, when, and when, when men, some of you ladies don't know this, but when, when guys, you know, when they're older and they have children, you know, it's like the back conversations, oh, you would, yes, you would like to be a fly on the wall when guys would talk to guys about guys who couldn't, you know, and now they can, you know. It's interesting conversations like, man, oh, you got that out there, boy. And the negative, the negative opinion over them moves out of the way as far as children. And here comes Isaac. Can you imagine the care, the attention? Every time they look in that boy's eyes, he's a miracle. And Abraham knows, look, I just did whatever I could do, but God had to do this. I said it last week. Can I say it again today? Sex is men's idea, but... Conception is only by God. We make choices about our sexuality and our sexual experiences many times, but God is the one that allows birth to happen. That's a powerful thing. Isaac was on purpose, and frankly, he was on time. But we have a challenge. The challenge is God says to Abraham, Abraham, here's what I want you to do today. Of all the times Abraham obeyed God, this time God says, take that boy to a mountain where I will show you. 
and sacrifice that boy there. Some tests that come to us are kind of difficult. This one seemed to be illogical. Never had God ever asked him to do that. But he knew the voice. And much to his credit, he saddles up the beast. He takes the wood. He gathers some servants. And they head out. And of course, Isaac is with him. I wonder what that conversation was like between father and son. I wonder what, I wonder what dialogue they had together on their way to the boy's burial. They get to the place three days later. They find the place. God lets him know, this is where I want you to sacrifice him. And the test is on. So Abraham says to them, you stay here with the beast. I'll take the wood and the boy. And he puts the wood on the boy's back. And they begin to climb this mountain. And Abraham knows what he's about to do. Isaac doesn't have a clue. And they get to the top of the mountain, and Abraham takes the cords that held the wood together and lays Isaac on the altar. There doesn't seem to be any indication of Isaac struggling because he doesn't know what's going on. He's probably thinking, oh, we're going to play a game. You're going to tie me up and see if I can get loose? Okay, fine, Dad. And it ties him up on the, on the altar, puts the wood around him, but then he takes out the knife. You should read this account on your own. It's amazing. Abraham takes the knife and he raises the knife and the angel of the Lord stops him. And the angel says, Abraham, now I know that you fear God. Can I, can I, can I say that a little differently? Now I know you will do anything God asks you to do. Now I know you trust him enough to let this boy go. Now I know that this boy's life, no matter how great a gift he is to you, that I am more important than the gift I gave. Now I know that you love me first before you love him. Now I know you really belong to me, Abraham, because you're willing to give your only son. The Bible says when the angel stopped his hand, Abraham looks over in the bush and there is a ram which he can now take for the sacrifice God really intended. I'm afraid, however, for many parents, they have never been down this road or they went down the road, or they heard the voice in a different form, but they rejected it. For many of us who are parents who own our children in a way that is inappropriate to God, for those of us who are parents in the building today, God is setting in order. He really is giving us a formula for our success as parents. He's actually providing for us a pathway so that your children can become everything God wants them to become. For the future of that child is not in his hands, but in Abraham's hands. I 
I believe God wants to restore to every parent the power of parenting under God. I believe God wants to let you know again and again how you have, the, you have in your hands the power of the destiny of your children. In Psalms it says, children are as arrows in the hand of the archer. You can point them wherever you will. For many of us, we have abdicated and left the responsibility that God has given us over our kids. For Abraham, it was a serious test. And I want to put you in remembrance of something. God said to Abraham, before Isaac came, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Wow. He said, I'm going to make you a father of a, a multitude. He said, Abraham, look up. And Abraham at night looks up. And he said, do you see the stars? He said, count them. Can you count them? They're too many. In the day, Abraham, look at the sand by your feet. Can you count the grains of sand under your feet? In that same book, Genesis, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make your children as the stars of the sky, and I'm going to make your kids as the sand under your toes. What a dumb promise for a guy that can't even get, excuse me, that can't get her pregnant. What an audacious promise for, for a couple that's past the, their, she's past her childbearing season. It's kind of, excuse me, normally eggs don't come down at 90, right? Am I right? I'm sorry, forgive me. You, can you all help me with a little bit, little bit, of, bit of biology? You know, sometime in, the, in between there, they stop. The, egg, the manufacturing, the, the, the <laughs> Closes up. And, and, and guys, you know, guys, you know, they have a statute of limitations too. Forgive me for being so candid, but I know blue pills are trying to extend that. But the reality is that there will come a time when they were already there. For God to make that promise to them, and then 25 years later, he brings about the promise. And here comes Isaac, and all the women are astounded. And Abraham is, he is so pleased. Can you imagine the papa, what he feels like? And now he has to do that one unthinkable thing. I'd like to see this scenario played, sweetheart, in the home, of some, in some of your homes. When, if the Lord spoke to your husband and said, I want you to take your child. And can you imagine mamas, and you're going to do what to my baby? You're going to do what? So however, he, he didn't give us the details, but however he talked her out of it, he got the kid away from the mother. And excuse me, forgive, forgive me, but there, are, there does come a time when dads need to take their children out of the hands of their moms. And where there are no dads available, it is the church it is the fellowship of believers that supply men who are willing to do for children that are not their own. 
so the Lord, he wasn't wrong. His command was absolutely right. And Abraham, can you believe it? He believed him. And he obeyed him. And that principle that's so powerful when, when parents remember where their children come from. The Bible says our children are a gift from the Lord. I'm sorry, would you just do that? Reach over to the person that's sitting next to you and say, your kids, and by the way, if you don't have kids, maybe they can speak that over you. But anyway, and they say, your kids are a gift from the Lord. To honor the gift, to hold the gift more dear than the giver is a huge mistake. And Abraham is learning a first-rate lesson. He decides, you gave me this child, surely I will give him back to you. But listen to the faith of Abraham at the bottom of the mountain before they ever get to the sacrifice. Abraham says, now you servants, you stay here, but I and the child, or I and the lad, some translations say, we will go up and worship and we, we will return. Oh Lord. I will go, we will go up and we will return. Now, I, I don't know all that was in Abraham's mind, but somehow he figured if God gave me this gift, he is the only one that can sustain it. And if he asks me for it, he has some plan beyond mine, but I know he wouldn't give me a promise and not fulfill it. I think... Gene, I think it was a powerful statement for God to say, the lad and I both will be back, even though he has the command, take this life of the child. And so I want to say this to you. What happens when, you, when God gives you a gift that you hold more precious than the giver? What has to happen to you to hold those children, parent those children, Guide those children in a way that pleases God. What needs to happen to you? For you not to destroy the destiny of your kids. Or not to mark them in a way that's inappropriate. Or not to control them in a way that stifles all that God wants to do with their life. That's why whatever it, however hard it takes to get what you get the more difficult it tends to be to let it go. The longer it takes for you to receive what it is that God has promised usually presents the harder it is for you to give it back. You can take this principle and apply it to many things. So God says to him, I want this child. And God knows whether you and I hold in our heart what he has given us in a way that will destroy the very thing we hold. So God goes after Abraham and he says, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you, son. But you know, you know how tests happen. The worst tests are the ones that are pop quizzes, right? The ones you don't expect. 
I mean, if, if you know you're going to uh, final exam, hey, you can, you, can, you can study all week, all month, or you can do what some of you do, cram all night to try to pass the thing. But what about the ones that you're not, you're not ready for? And all of a sudden, you're in it. God tests you not for his information. He tests you so you can have the information. So today, as we honor all of our children going back to school, the question we have for you is, are you holding them in a way that you actually prohibit all that God wants to do? You know, the more God blesses you, the harder it is to keep that blessing from becoming the idol in your life. The more things you accumulate, the tendencies are harder just to let them go. And yet God says, I want to be first. I want first place above everything else. And so this week, what I want you to make a decision to do. So I'd like you to, if I can say it this way, some of us need to take the knife and put it to our kids. Now, please, please, do not go get the, the please. Don't, don't, don't go get the kitchen butcher knife. I don't mean that. I need this to go on record. Please record this so that if they want to use this message to get me on, against me on Facebook, they'll know that I said I am not advocating children and parents to hurt their children by no means. But maybe what you ought to do is give that child back to God in the same way that Zach and Liz show up and give John their son, they offer him to the priest. Or maybe we should do what Mary and Joseph did with Jesus himself. He comes, they come to the temple on the, and they offer him up to the priest. In acknowledgement that this child belongs to you. It came from you. And in the end, it will go back to you. So right now, to ensure its future, to ensure its destiny, I want to offer this child to you. And my pledge to you, Father, is that I'm going to parent this child in a way you want this child parented. Actually, what I'm talking about is the principle is often called the death of a vision. Any great thing that God wants to do in your life and promised you, usually when it begins to appear, it will go through a season of death. Some of you may be in that right now. He promised, the Lord promised it, it appeared, but somehow or another, you just, it, it, it's like it's not going to come to fruition. So really, God is the one, he's the one in control, if you allow him to be, and maybe what we need to do is what Abraham did. Lord, I'm giving this to you. It may be that you, we may have been holding it in a way that, that puts God in second place so that the purpose of God in our life come, becomes, Lord, you'll give me what I want as opposed to my place in God's life is to give him what he wants. That reverse can happen for too many believers when they think God is like the slot machine. 
to please me as opposed to God receiving us to please him. It might be the difference between religion and relationship with God. If you're in the middle of it right now and you're thinking, man, uh, everything, everything I try to do, I can't make this happen. It might be because you might need to put the knife to it. You may need to say, Lord, you're the one, you're the one that put this in my heart and you're the only one that can make it happen. Don't let God have to wrestle out of your hand the thing that's inappropriate. Please, don't forget who you serve. It is the God of heaven that says, I want to bless you with all manner of good things. All good and perfect gifts come down from the Father. There's no indictment about God's character or his desire to bless you in every way. But the, but the question comes, how we receive the blessing. I never will forget the day I got a phone call in my office on the other side of town at that time and my wife was frantic. I can tell, all, by the way, la ladies, you should know that your husband doesn't read your face. He reads the sound of your voice. I want to promise you every husband in this room right now, if you, if, when your wife is upset, you can hear it in her voice. Let all the men say true. It's, ama it's an amazing thing. That's why, ladies, when you give your husband a command, it's not the command that makes him mad. It's the tone of voice. <laughs> i never forget my wife. She has that desperation in her voice. Honey, you know, it's not loud. It's like, honey. I said, yeah, babe, what, what's wrong? He said, uh, oh, uh, um, I've got Matthew, and um, he had an accident, and, uh, and uh, I'm in the emergency room. With, and the, what, what, in the emergency room? Yeah, he's not, you know, he's not responding to me. He's not responding to me. And he was walking away from her. She was calling him, and Matthew, Matthew, and he's just walking away like he's in the daze. What is wrong? And my wife, went to my son, swooped him off his feet, and broke through the double doors of the urgent care room. You you know how when a mama gets desperate, anybody know what it's like when a mama gets desperate? She said, you're going to see my baby right now. And they came to her, and, and the next thing we know, they, they're ripping open his shirt, they're putting in electrodes, and he goes into a grand mal seizure, and his body is flopping up off the table like a, and, and the next thing you, you, you know, they don't, you know, it's, it's, he's having a major seizure. We discovered he was hit in the back of the head. Next thing you know, they got the helicopters coming and they're flying him in the helicopter and they're going to take him to Northside Hospital to do brain surgery. My wife is, is, is trying to keep it together and she's on the phone with me and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm in disbelief as I hear what I heard. Oh, I, I can't even tell you what that was like feeling so helpless, not knowing what to do. I got in the, I got in the, in the van at that time, and I was, on the, I was on, the west, uh, on the west side of 285 in Camp Creek Road, and I was driving around to Northside Hospital because my son was about to have brain surgery. 
And while I'm praying, I'm in this incredible war. I heard a voice, I'm going to kill him. And I am, I am, you know, it's at that time, you didn't know the difference between the voice of God and something else. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? And I remember, I remember saying, oh, no, you're not. I mean, I just, you know, I, oh, no, you're not, you know. And, and I'm praying to God. And, and then I heard another voice. Right before, before I heard that other voice, the second phrase, if I can't kill him, I'm going to make him, I'm going to injure him so he's brain dead or he's, he's not what he, what he is supposed to be. No, you're not. And the prayer continued. And the third voice I heard said this. Why should I let him live? And that was not the enemy's voice. I kind of felt at that moment like Abraham when I heard that voice of authority. That voice of finality. That voice of truth. Why should I let him live? And, and I was in a test. Talk about a test. God's asking me why he should let my son live. So I started getting all my theology together. And I said stuff like this. Well, I'm the bishop. I knew that. And I knew that one word. And the voice said, there are other bishop's sons I've taken. I said, I said, well, I, said, no. well, I, I, tried, to, I, tried, to, I tried to do good. And the voice said, there are many people who do good, better than you, and they've lost their son. Now I'm stumped, and I don't have the answer. And I'm driving around in those 30 seconds to a moment of utter silence, deafening silence, as I'm driving around, breaking the king's laws, going around cars, speeding up trying to get up the north side drive to, to find out. And, and, and in that moment, a, an answer came out of my heart. Yeah, I know, that's what I said. <laughs> and the answer said, you know, and I knew the answer was right. And I said, oh, because you promised me that he was going to be great in the kingdom of God. And you had a great plan for his life. And then the peace came over. I pulled up, I jumped out the car, I ran, I broke through the hospital doors, and one of my dear pastor friends, in fact, some of you know him, Pastor Woodrow Walker, he was already at the hospital, he got the news, and, and, and you know, he, he grabbed me, and we walk in together, and when we walk in together, there was a nurse, he said, we're, 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 we're asking about the kid that just came in, to, he just came into the, to the emergency, and she said, oh, I'm sorry, he didn't make it. I went, Can you imagine? And Woody looks at me, and I look at him, and we're, in, in, and we're searching for where he, we break into the room, and he was not dead. He was laying there like this. I said, what, what, what? So I don't know where that nurse came from, but I think she came from hell. My wife was already in the room, and when I saw her, we, we grabbed each other, and there's my son laying there, and the nurse says, the nurse says to me, 
The nurse said, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you that she and I on the phone um, while he was flopping about the table. I said, honey, we need to turn your face from him. We need to agree in prayer. And we started agreeing in prayer for the life of my son. So the next time we saw each other was in the, in the emergency room. And when our eyes met, we met each other, and there he is, and he's peaceful. And all the dial, all the, you know, the scope, you know what they're called, you know what it's called. All, all of them were, were normal. And, and the, nurse, the nurse that was in there looks up at me and says, oh, he had a seizure, but, uh, but everything seems to be normal. He's, 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 uh, he's breathing great. There's no abnormal brain activity. And, you know, she said, we're going to watch him over the next 24 hours. And if he doesn't have a seizure in the next 24 hours, he will never be plagued with it. But if he does have one, he might have them for the rest of his life. I said, you're a lie. Anyway, uh, so we, 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 I'm like, oh, you know, how many, I went from heaven to the bottom in just a few seconds. And we walk out of the room and we say, oh, God, thank you, Lord. And we, the next day, my wife, I can't remember, honey, did you stay overnight that night? I think she stayed overnight. I went home. I couldn't take it. I, we women are tough. I went home. I got up. She said, he didn't have a seizure. In fact, we know he's doing good because the nurse said, he woke up and said, you waking me up too many times. Please leave me alone. But when God turned the situation around, because we decided whatever you said is right, well, I can't even tell you. Some of you will learn the history of that boy in this coming October when he's back home again. But it's an amazing thing that what God has done with his life. What do you need to let go? What do you need to treat like, Lord, he belongs to you, this dream belongs to you. I want to stop right here. And I'm going I'm to invite you to pray with me about that. What do you need to give back to God? I want to promise you this. If God gave it, then he's the only one that can sustain it. And by his strength and power, will it become what he wants it to be? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person today that's wrestling with the source of their love and their devotion. I pray, Father, in, the, in Jesus' name. Father, as we give to you the very thing that you have given to us, Lord, the blessing with which you've blessed us we offer back to you. And we believe that all that you've promised and all that it will ever be shall come to be. For first, it is yours. Lord, we declare that you are first in our lives. We declare our devotion to you first, our trust, our faith in you alone. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for those with the courage to give back to you what they love so much in declaration of their love to you, their love for you. I, I praise you that you would surround them and 
Put peace upon them. The peace of God rests upon you in the name of Jesus because you've made this decision. For those of you struggling with your hands on something, God wants you to take your hands off. May he grant you the grace and the courage to do so that his full and perfect will might be done in that life and in your life. We give you praise and thanks in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's people say, amen. Please stand up.